0: Well, we're going to continue in a series uh, that we've been doing based on author and pastor Mark Batterson. He wrote a book called Soul Print uh, years ago, and it was just a fantastic book about finding and discovering your divine destiny, finding out who you are, who God created you to be, and how to fulfill the purposes and the plan of God in your life. Amen. And we've been enjoying this series, and we're just going to continue along with it tonight and uh, tonight's teaching, the title is Life Symbols. And I'm going to explain that in a moment. But before we get into that, I want you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 17. And I want you want us to begin with verse 40. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn there. 1 Samuel 17, verse 40. Uh, or if you have it on the phone, you can do that. Um, I think we'll have that up on the screen here as well. But let me just begin to read this to you. He picked up five smooth stones from a stream and put them into his shepherd's bag. How many know who you were talking about right here? David, right? Then, armed only with his shepherd's staff and sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. Goliath walked out toward David with his shield-bearer ahead of him sneering in contempt at this ruddy-faced boy. Uh, Did I skip something? Goliath walked out toward David with his shield-bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at this ruddy-faced boy. Am I a dog, he roared at David, that you come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of his gods. Come over here, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and wild animals, Goliath yelled. David replied to the Philistine, You come to me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head. And then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. As Goliath moved closer to attack, I love this part, David quickly ran out to meet him. You can imagine him right now with the sling running at the giant stone ready to go and be released. David quickly ran out to meet him, reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone. He hurled it with his sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in and Goliath stumbled and fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone for he had no sword. And then David ran over and pulled Goliath's sword from its sheath. David used it to kill him and cut off his head. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they turned and ran. Then the men of Israel and Judah gave a great shout of triumph and rushed after the Philistines, chasing them as far as Gath. And the gates of Ekron, the bodies of the dead and wounded Philistines, were strewn all along the road from Sherem, as far as Gath and Ekron. And then the Israelite army returned and plundered the deserted Philistine camp. David took the Philistines' head to Jerusalem, but he stored the man's armor in his own tent. Whew, man. What a story. Come on, let's give the Lord a shout. Come on, like those Israelites. Hallelujah. Our God is victorious. Amen. What a story. I can picture this entire thing in my mind, and I like to dramatize because I like. maybe you can imagine this as well in your mind. By the way, Veterans Day is today. So happy Veterans Day, and thank you for your service to all those that have served our country. Come on, let's give our veterans a big hand tonight. All that are watching online, we thank you so much. Earlier this year, I was going through some of my things, and I discovered some of my old writings and drawings from when I was a kid. Do any of you have some of the old stuff, maybe stowed away in boxes? Maybe for some of you, it's long gone by now, right? But my mother saved all of my things in a treasure chest, which served as a coffee table in our living room. And then sometime after I got married and I went home to visit my mother, she said, open up the treasure chest and take all your stuff. (laughs) She goes, I love them, but I'm not always going to be around, but you're going to have them, be able to pass them down to your kids. So take the stuff. And I was like, wow. So I looked in there and I found all kinds of neat things from when I was a kid. I began to read through my writings. And what was interesting is, As I was reading through some of these writings, like when I was in 8th grade in Young Authors Institute, or when I was 12 years old, just sitting outside writing in a notebook and a journal and writing all these little stories, I began listening to my younger voice, much younger voice. And I had this wonderful realization that not everything about me had changed. It was a weird experience. I was just a kid, but I could hear myself in the writings. And I could see that God had been developing me already. Here I thought, man, I certainly have changed. Now, looking in the mirror, I really have changed, you know. I used to look like Luke Skywalker, you know, when I was a kid. I mean, not anymore. (laughs) You know, more like Pat Sajak, maybe, you know, or something like that. But, uh, (laughs) yeah, Anthony laughs. All right. But not everything about me changed. Way back then, part of who I am now could already be seen. Author Mitch Albom, in his book Tuesday with Maury, written in 1997, wrote these words. I embrace aging. It's very simple. As you grow, you learn more. If you stayed at 22 you'd always be as ignorant as you were at 22. Sorry to all the 22-year-olds, right? But the truth is, part of me is every age. I'm a 3-year-old, I'm a 5-year-old, I'm a 37-year-old, I'm a 50-year-old. I've been through all of them, and I know what it's like. I delight in being a wise old man when it's appropriate to be a wise old man. Think of all I can be I delight in being a child when it's appropriate to be a child. I am every age up to my own. That's a cool thought, isn't it? Our footprints, where we've been and what we've done, reveal our soul print. We are who we were. Not in our status with God, necessarily, but in the sense that every experience of our lives has led us To where we are right now. Now as I speak these words, I want everyone listening, you here and those watching, just begin to go over your life in your heart, in your mind right now. And begin to think about your life. Everything that you have experienced has led you to where you are right now. And as we look back at our past, it can give us clues about our destiny. About our future. Think of that song, Great is Thy Faithfulness. I love that hymn. Great is thy faithfulness. When we sing that song, we're not just singing about a static character trait of God, faithfulness. But we're singing about a God who has been faithful every step of the way. And the promise of his faithfulness in the future. Hasn't God been faithful in our lives every step of the way? And He will continue to be faithful long into our future? What's the point of all this? The point of this is the importance of memory. I want us to think about this for a second. We must have memory. The ability to remember what happened yesterday. Why? to imagine a meaningful tomorrow. If we forget everything that we've learned, we'd have to spend every day learning it all over again. We wouldn't know where we came from, nor have any idea of where to go. The worst part is, without memory, there would be no faith. We wouldn't be able to understand or remember God's faithfulness. You know what's interesting? Some of you may have experienced this, but you ever visit an elderly person in the hospital or a nursing home, and some of their memory has slipped. They don't remember things like they used to. But when it comes to God, they remember. And they can sing. And they remember the songs. And they're able to talk about God's faithfulness. Isn't that amazing? I find it fascinating. Now, Thanksgiving is around the corner. And this truth will be put into practice. We will remember the faithfulness of God and we will be grateful. This will build our faith and it will give us confidence in the future. Listen, what can we do to keep our faith built and strong in God so that we can fulfill our destiny? I want to give you a a couple of points if you're going to take notes. Here's a couple of points that you want to take down, how to build your faith, keep your faith in God strong so that you can build and fulfill your destiny. The first thing is this. We need holy keepsakes or what are called life symbols. Now, I'm going to explain this to you. But we need them. Why? To remember where we've been and where we're headed. I wonder... If David pulled that bloody stone out of Goliath's head and every once in a while looked at it, I wonder, can you imagine that? I wonder, did Abraham ever journey back up Mount Moriah to the place where he almost sacrificed his son and the place where God provided the ram just in the nick of time? I wonder if he walked back up there. This was the spot. I bet you, Isaac didn't ever go back there. <laughs> this is where Dad almost killed me. <laughs> All right. Did Jacob ever revisit Bethel, where he saw the ladder of angels between heaven and Earth? Imagine that. The veil between heaven and Earth was opened, and Jacob could see the angels ascending and descending. What a place that was. Did Peter ever go back out to the spot where he walked on water? Did Lazarus? Go back to the tomb where he lay dead and then was resurrected? I mean, maybe he brought himself some flowers and he sat down and talked to his dead self. (laughs) Said, I'm not there. (laughs) I was, but I'm not there. You know how people do, go to the grave. (laughs) What do you think the primary reason is that people lose faith? It's this. They forget. The faithfulness of God. The primary reason people lose faith is that they forget the faithfulness of God. And God knows this. And that's why the word remember can be found 450 times in the Bible. Remember. It's a command of God. Remember. Remember remember god says it over and over again one of the big ones is luke 17 32 remember what happened to lot's wife (laughs) you know i read that i was like that's a good remember don't turn back to your old ways man because she got turned into a pillar of salt remember lot's wife that's smart remember one of the biggest problems we humans have is that we remember the things that we should forget and we forget the things that we should remember. How many are with me on that, right? I mean, we got to fix this problem. Colossians chapter 3, verse 13 says this, Make allowance for each other's faults. Forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Did you catch that? Remember that the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. You will not forget others if you won't remember that the Lord forgave you. How quickly we get caught in these traps. Even Jesus talked about these things in parables, didn't he? When he talked about the man who was forgiven much, right? Only then to turn around and not forgive someone who owed him a debt. It didn't work out well for that man. You have to remember what God has done for you so that you can remain faithful to God. In the Old Testament, they built many altars and memorials to remind them of what God did. We already mentioned Jacob, but the altar that he built at Bethel in Genesis 35 would always remind him of how God protected him as he fled from his brother Esau and how at that time all his household and everybody with him put away all their false gods and consecrated themselves to God. He was afraid of his brother, and for good reason. He had deceived his brother with the help of his mother, right? And he had done that. His name, Jacob, the very name means deceiver. And he lived up to it. And he had deceived, and he had taken the birthright, and Esau was mad, and he was afraid of his brother, and he fled, but God protected him because God knew his heart, and God had a destiny for Jacob. He knew that Jacob would serve him The one true God. And so God was with Jacob in spite of him being the deceiver. Here are some of the life symbols I have kept. I wanted to bring some of these for you tonight just to see. And I'm going to kind of pull some of these out. Kind of interesting. I wanted to show you these because I want to show you my favorite. My favorite one is this. This is my very first Bible. This is the Bible that Pastor Ron Sullivan gave to me on June 19, 1988 at Caribou Assembly of God in Caribou, Maine, when I was 15 years old and I gave my life to Jesus. I got saved that morning. And this is the Bible he gave to me after the service was over, after he had prayed for me with hands raised at an altar and everybody around me, and people prayed over me. After service, he said, James, I want to meet you down in my office. His office was in the basement of the church. And he says, I have a Bible to give to you. And this was it, the New International Version, so I could understand it, even though he was a King James preacher. But he gave me this so I could understand it, so I could read it. And he turned to John 3.16 in my Bible, and he underlined it with a red ink pen. And I turned there today just to see the red ink pen in John 3.16. Pastor Sullivan is with the Lord today. He died a few years ago. But I loved Pastor Sullivan. He could put you to sleep when preaching about the Old Testament. i got to tell you what. But he loved Jesus with all his heart, and he loved me, and he loved my family. But this Bible is a life symbol. It reminds me of my altered life. It reminds me of the destiny that God had for me. This was where everything changed in my life. This word changed everything for me when I gave my life to Jesus that day. And there are things that are in your life that are called life symbols. These are these moments of your life, these symbols of your life that show you where God's hand was on your life and how it changed and altered your course forever. And it gives you a clue as to what he desired for your life. This Bible represents I no longer was going to be, you know, a professional wrestler you know, or something like that. I wanted to be one. You know that? My grandmother was going to be our manager. My brother and I were going to be a tag team. That was our big goal in eighth grade, you know. <laughs> so, but uh, my grandmother, she was tough. All right. But this changed my destiny. In truth of the matter is, I probably would have went to the Air Force like my father because I loved the military. But God said, I'm going to have you preach the gospel for the rest of your life. This changed me. I wanted to show you something else. You see, when God called me to preach the gospel, it would be a few years of training in high school, my sophomore, my junior, my senior year. I would be at church faithfully, and then suddenly God would would uh, it came time for me to leave the house. It came time for me to leave my home up in Caribou, Maine, way at the top. And God wanted me to go study for the ministry. Now you've got to put this calling into practice. You, can, you know, I preached in my home church. I preached all over northern Maine with my youth pastor. He would take me to revivals, and we'd tag team preach. We'd do that as teenagers. I did all that stuff, but God said, now you've got to get out of the house, though, and you've got to go really make this a reality. So I had to go get training. I had to go to a Bible school. So I went 14 hours from my house. But this is the piece of paper that I have from Valley Forge Christian College that says that they had awarded me the Decade of Harvest Scholarship, which was a full tuition scholarship for my first year at Valley Forge, so that this this poor guy from, from Northern Maine who couldn't afford Valley Forge could go to school and get started with the training in the Bible. And so I keep this. This was a big change for me. I could have stayed in northern Maine. I could have stayed there. But this is like a life symbol. This was a life changer. When I left home, I barely went back. But God took me all over the place. And now look, here I am in Arizona, which brings me to this. Oh, this was, this was another one. This was a preaching trophy that I got from the National Fine Arts, National Fine Arts Festival in 1991 in Portland, Oregon. And this confirmed my preaching and everything as well, that this is what God wanted me to do. So I kept that. And then when I get to college, I found this old drawing, this old drawing I did of my bookshelf in college. And what I felt interesting about this was how could I see my destiny even in this picture? When I looked at it today, I pulled it out, and I started looking at all the little symbols of the things that were on my bookshelf in college. One of them was a missions trip I never got to take. I couldn't afford it. I wanted to go to Russia so bad with my college team, but I couldn't raise the support, and I wasn't able to go with the rest of the team. That's on the wall. But here's what's significant. On the left side of my bookshelf sits a can of Arizona iced tea. I had no idea I would be in Arizona one day, (laughs) but there it was. (laughs) When I went on a missions trip as a youth pastor, it was my first time out of the country. And when I went, I went to Mexico and I went with a group from New Jersey and I took our youth group and the district youth director was there. And down in Mexico, down in, in Lyon, Mexico, where the airport was, we stayed at this hotel. That wasn't where we administered, but it was where we had gathered to pray with the team. And Dave Greco, the district youth director, gave us these little cups. It's a little pitcher and it's a cup. And I remembered his message that said that this cup is to remind you. Of the servanthood of Jesus Christ. That you are to serve. And this was a life changer for me too. My first missions trip. It made a huge impact on me. And reminded that ministry is about serving. And serving people. These are life symbols. Now you may have things in your life as well. You know what David's biggest life symbol was? We read about it a little bit earlier. It was Goliath's armor. Goliath took the uh, or david took goliath's armor off the body and what did he do with it he hung it in his tent his tent was his office every time david went to his office he saw the giant's armor hanging on the wall that was a life symbol it was i'm not just a shepherd boy i'm a giant killer amen Amen. And some of you need like Goliath's armor hanging up in your house. You need it hanging up in your office. You need it to remind you of who God has called you to be. We need life symbols to help us remember. You've heard it said, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. Well, there's another one that goes with it. Here's another truth. The taller they are, the longer they take to hit the ground. That's, an, that's another truth. All right. So when that stone sunk into the giant's head, it was like, he. the Bible says Goliath, he what? He he stumbled, the Bible says. So it's like, you know, and everyone's probably standing back a little bit. You know, like, whoa, even the Philistines were like, get out of the way. And this giant just went, boom, you know, and he just fell. And it probably seemed like eternity before he hit the ground. But I can imagine all the dust flew up into the air and there was a big loud thud. And then there was silence for a moment until the philistines realized what in the world just happened we lost our champion and they started going we're out of (laughs) here they dropped their shields and started they take and run and all of a sudden the big cheer yeah and you know the israelite army breaks out in a loud cheer and a loud roar and then chases after the philistines and it was a slaughter david got really busy though when his army was chasing down the philistines You see, David took Goliath's sword, the Bible says, ran right up to the body. This is before Goliath was even truly dead. Goliath had that thing buried in his head, but he was still breathing apparently because the Bible says David took his sword, took it out of the sheath, killed him with it, and then cut off his head. He got busy, but then he had to get really busy because he began the long and the difficult process of taking off Goliath's armor. Ironically, it was probably harder to get the armor off Goliath than it was to kill him. How do, you, how do we know how much his armor weighed? Well, here's, here's how we know. Scripture tells us in 1 Samuel 17, verses 5 to 6, it says this about Goliath's armor. He wore a bronze helmet, and his bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. He also wore bronze leg armor and he carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. All in all, with the leg irons, with the with the uh leg armor, with the with the coat, he was probably at one hundred and seventy five to two hundred pounds worth of equipment that David had to pull off this giant. Imagine that. It didn't even mention his helmet. Well it did. It said a bronze helmet. That was probably pretty heavy as well. Batterson writes this, Alex Haley, the creator of the heralded miniseries Roots, is said to have had a picture in his office of a turtle sitting on a fence post. In Haley's words, "Anytime you see a turtle up on a top of a fence post, you know he had some help. <laughs> that picture was Haley's way of reminding himself of how he got to where he was. He had some help. I wonder if having Goliath's armor served the same function for David. The sheer size of the armor was evidence of the fact that David had some help. Goliath's armor was David's turtle on a fence post. How many of you have had some help getting to where you are today? I think we could all say that. And I think if we really thought hard enough, we could think even more about how much help we've really had to get to where we are today. Who can you thank God for? That's the question tonight. Who can you thank God for? And I want you to begin to think about that question over and over because when we have our special Thanksgiving service and even in this Thanksgiving season, that is a person that maybe you could vocalize to your family around the table, this is who I really thank God for. Maybe you could do it in your prayers or maybe when we gather for that service, this is who I thank God for. And I believe that that would bless you and bless others around you. So the first thing is we need life symbols. The second thing is we need to learn memory management. Did you know that you can learn memory management? I, I did not really think about this too much, you know, I was studying for the message and I'm like, okay, we can learn memory management. A renowned neurosurgeon named Dr. Wilder Penfield came to the conclusion after some intense research on the human brain. He actually had many people that he did experiments on. Cut the skull open and expose the brain and then touched different parts of the brain looking for responses and everything else. He did, it was incredible research that he did. He said this, that every sight, every sound, every smell, every conscious thought, every subconscious dream is recorded on our internal hard drive. The region of the brain known as the cerebral cortex. Everything is recorded there. Batterson writes about this in his book and explains how this works. He said this, when you hear a song or you see a picture or you read a verse of scripture, a line is traced on the surface of the cerebral cortex called a memory trace or an engram. The brain functions like a deluxe Etch-A-Sketch. If you hear the same song or you see the same picture or read the same verse of scripture again, the line is retraced. With each repetition, the engram gets deeper and deeper until finally that song or picture or verse is engraved on the surface of your cerebral cortex. It's also engraved on your soul print. Here's what's interesting. The more the emotional the event is in our lives, the deeper the engram gets etched into our brain and the longer we'll remember it. This, is, this means that our long-term memories are mostly associated with intense positive or negative experiences. This is just the way God designed us. It's not about arguing. It's just the way God designed us. The more emotional, the more intense, whether positive or negative, the deeper the engrams in our brain. Less emotional memories may be stored in our subconscious databanks, but we can't remember them or access them because our brain's software hasn't been updated. Did you know you needed an update? I look at my phone sometimes and it says, your phone hasn't been updated in two weeks. That just happened to me the other day. And then I read about it it says, because your phone needs to be connected to Wi-Fi and turned on in order to receive the update. And I realized, ah, my phone Wi-Fi has been off. I was wondering how I used so much data. Well, the same thing's true with our brain. Our brain needs an update. When's the last time you had a memory management update? (laughs) All right? To help us remember and steward our memories for God's glory, we need to do some memory management. Maybe we need the latest updates. We need to create a mental folder for the blessings of God. We need to delete some records of wrongs. This is something that we can do in our times of devotion to God and in our prayer time. So I want you to imagine when you're sitting down and you open the Bible and you're sitting there having a devotion with God and a prayer time with God, you're like going through memory management. You're like, okay, I'm taking out the folder in the brain right now. This is where the blessings of God go in, and I'm going to repeat the blessing of God. God, I am thankful for. God, I am thankful for. Lord, you are good because of whatever it might be. And I'm going to put memories into the blessings of God folder in my data banks, and I'm going to create a deep engram so that I can remember the faithfulness of God. And then there's some things, you know how we talked about, we remember the things we shouldn't remember? There are some things that want to take over our mind, even in our times of prayer, and even in our times of just meditation before the Lord. And those are those negative things. Oh, this person hurt me. Oh, this person did this to me. Oh, nobody cares about, you know, all these thoughts that we sometimes get. And in memory management, we need to to rebuke those things, and we need to say, you know what? I put those things aside. I will keep no records of wrongs. Isn't that what the Bible says about love? Love keeps no record of wrongs. Lord, I'm going to erase that from the memory bank. And I'm going to do this with your help. I'm going to do it. So, forgetting the things that we should remember has always been a problem. Or, forgetting or failing to think about is something that can cause us to fall away. So, if we fail to think about God's faithfulness, we can fall away. After Peter gets done writing about these things, we should respond to God's promises and keep from falling away, he pens these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in Second Peter 1, 12 to 15. He says this, therefore I will always remind you about these things even though you already know them. I will always remind you about these things even though you already know them and are standing firm in the truth you have been taught. And it is only right that I should keep on reminding you, keep on reminding you as long as I live. For our Lord Jesus Christ has shown me that I must soon leave this earthly life. So I will work hard to make sure you always remember these things after I am gone. What was Peter saying? His job as a teacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ was to repeat, repeat, repeat. Why? So that you will remember, remember, remember. It was to build deep engrams into your brain about who God is and how faithful God is so that you won't fall away. That's what Peter was saying. So sometimes you wonder, why would the pastor repeat a a message? Well, repeat, 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 because it will go deep in and you will remember it and never forget it. And that is the job of the preacher, the teacher, to make sure that we remember for as long as we live. Making sure we always remember involves hearing the truth over and over again and putting it into practice in our life's experiences. And if we put our whole heart in it, there's a greater chance that it will be stored in our long-term memory. While are things that we should think about often, there are also things we need to forget and stop thinking about and quit giving power over us. 1 Corinthians 134 4-5 Love is patient, love is kind. Love is not jealous or boastful, proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. The more we can quit dwelling on the hurts and the sins of the past, the more we can spend thinking about the blessings of the present and hope of the future. In other words, we will be better stewards of the time that we've been given to fulfill our God-given destiny. Many of our strongest memories come from our childhood. I just took a bag full of these out from when I was a young man come from our childhood. How we've allowed those memories to shape our thinking has a direct effect on the outcome of our life. And we could choose to allow those things to define us or refine us. It's your choice. Here's more good news. Even if we've allowed negative thinking, insecurity, or bitterness to describe us, it is not too late for God to redefine us. How many know that we serve a redefining God? Our God can redefine us. So it's not too late. And this begins with good memory management. You need life symbols. Find things in your treasure chest that remind you of what God has done in the past and that point to the things that he has done in your life currently and maybe even the things that he hasn't done yet. I'm sure that when I'm 75 years old, I'll look back at these same tokens and I will see things that I didn't even see tonight. Then I'll realize what God was doing. Who knows? Maybe there's one other symbol on this bookshelf that I don't see the significance of right now. But later on, I'll go, what? I mean, there are some beautiful landscapes here. Maybe I'll end up in one of them. (laughs) Arizona is beautiful, but it is a desert, isn't it? But you never know. You see, David was a punching bag for his older brothers. In fact, they were still picking on him when he visited them in the Valley of Elah. His older brothers were the first giants in his life. And his own dad didn't see David's potential. When Samuel was lining up the sons of Jesse to anoint the next king, Jesse didn't even bother to call David. Didn't even bother. That had to hurt. But David didn't allow those difficulties to define him. David welcomed a challenge. He loved being underestimated. The less potential others saw in him, the more he wanted God to prove them wrong. <laughs> oh, how do you feel that way? Does anybody feel like a David tonight? Go ahead, underestimate me. With God's help, God will prove them wrong. Amen? That's the way David did. He didn't let them spoil his heart, spoil his heart for God, to spoil his faith, or spoil his belief in the destiny that God had for him. He didn't let other people do that and rob him. Instead, he said, go ahead, doubt me. But I know my God. He will prove them all wrong. We all need these life symbols and we all need to learn memory management. One final thought and conclusion. We all need to practice what's called post-imagination. Let me explain this to you. We we all know what pre-imagination is. That's just simply imagining what the future looks like. It's just imagining. You can do that. We can all do that right now. But post-imagination is reimagining the past after it happens. It's not rewriting history. We can't change what has been done, can we? The facts are the facts. It's already been done. But we can reimagine the past in this way. Looking at the events of our life and seeing what God was up to and why. There are a lot of things that have happened to you in your life. And to reimagine the past is to go back and rethink those things. All this time, you may have thought one thing about it, but with the Lord's help through the power of the Spirit, you can go back and look at it and go, oh, wait a minute. Now I see what God was up to. I didn't see it in the moment, but now I see it. I'm going to go back and I'm going to tell this story, but I'm going to tell this story differently because now I see the fingerprint of God. I'm beginning to see the soul print of my life. I'm beginning to see my destiny fulfilled. That's what God was up to. Many of the Psalms capture David's post-imagination. If you read the Psalms, David often looked for reasons why the things happened to him the way they did. Look at Psalm 30, verses 6 and 7. David said these words, When I was prosperous, I said, Nothing can stop me now. Your favor, O Lord, made me as secure as a mountain. But then you turned away from me, and I was shattered. A couple of verses later, he asks this question, verse 9. What will you gain if I die? If I sink into the grave, can my dust praise you? Can it tell of your faithfulness? And then a couple of verses after that, verse 11 you have turned my mourning into joyful dancing. You have taken away my clothes of mourning and clothed me with joy that I might sing praises to you and not be silent. Oh, Lord, my God, I will give thanks forever. David said, God, you gave me all the confidence in the world. Things was going so good. God, I was, I was on a high mountain and I had so much faith in you. But then you turned your back on me. And it shattered me. David could have lived with that shattered spirit for the rest of his life. But he didn't. He did some reimagining, didn't he? He went back and said, what was going on here? God, you had a purpose. And David wrestled it out with God. I'm going to die because you turned your back on me. But if I die, can my dead body praise you? Can my grave give you faithfulness? And God turned everything around and God said, No, I did this so that you would praise me forever. David realized why he had to go through the dark times. He realized why he had to be shattered. It was so that it would solidify praise and thanks in David's heart forever. How many of you have been through some hard times? And when you're through some hard times and even been shattered, you've learned... You know what? I've got to praise God. And God can turn the morning into dancing. He can turn that sadness into joy. And I've got to praise God forever. If this is the lesson that God was teaching me, was to praise Him in the middle of all this hard time, well then so be it, I had to go through it so that I could learn to praise Him forever. Not just praise Him when everything's great, but praise Him always. Praise Him always. If David can have difficult, hurtful moments in his life when he felt that God turned away from him and then post-imagined why he went through those things and came up with a God-glorifying answer, then so can we. So now you can see how stewarding our post-imagination is so important when it comes to discovering our soul print. If we can look back and see God's hand in our life, we can begin to see the path that God has placed us on to fulfill our destiny. And in David's case, When God turned away from him, it shattered him. But because of it, David learned to sing praises and became quite the worshiper. We know because we have the Psalms. We know because we read the stories of David how even as the king, listen, he was known as a great king. How many know it's King David, right? He was known as a great king. But guess what? He was known even more so as the worshiper of God. He was a worshiper. He was a king who was willing to get naked in front of everybody and dance before God. Even to the shame of everyone else, he didn't care. He said, I'll become even more undignified than this. He was a worshiper before he was the king. He loved God. It was his destiny to be a king, but it was his destiny to be a worshiper of God. I'm excited to see what God is going to do in each and every one of our lives. And I know we're right at 8 o'clock and we're going to close here in a second. But there was an unknown poet who run, once wrote about our lives being like a work of needlecraft. Here's what the poet wrote. My life is but a weaving between my God and me. I do not choose the colors. He works so steadily. Oft times he weaves in sorrow and I in foolish pride. forget he sees the upper and I the underside. Not till the loom is silent and the shuttles cease to fly. Will God unroll the canvas and explain the reason why? The dark threads are as needful in the weaver's skillful hand as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern he has planned. What this author is describing is a pattern, a weaver's needle, how on the underneath of the canvas all you see are the dark threads and it looks like a nasty web of you don't know what it is. But on top, it's a beautiful masterpiece. Sometimes all we can see right now is the underside. We don't see what God is doing on the other side. We may not always understand the purposes of the dark threads of our life, but we can practice post-imagination. There is always a glorious purpose. How many believe that? There is always a glorious purpose. Always. Let's imagine what that is. Doing this will help us see our destiny. That's my challenge for you tonight. This Thanksgiving season, do some reimagining. See the glorious purpose. Amen.